The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live on this Monday, November 30th, 2020. Yes, we have successfully crested the Thanksgiving holidays and we've moved right into everything else here. Uh, so I've done, done some jazzing up of our background here to, I don't know. Uh, good, war- good morning, MDA Mental Disorder Awareness. Uh, we're so thrilled to have you here. And Christina, good morning to you too. I was just having a laugh. You know how sometimes you uh, see yourself and you go, oh, not how I thought I looked. I, lo- I saw myself on the screen and I was like, I look like Roger Ebert. <laughs> it's a little Roger Ebert with earrings. It's a, do you remember who uh, he was? He used to review movies. It's a little scary. I have ro- the Roger Ebert haircut. So I'm kind of laughing at myself this morning. I ho- Hey, I hope everybody had a really good Thanksgiving there's so much to talk about because we didn't get as much time last week as we normally do, but I hope you guys enjoyed the marathon and all the toy reviews. Uh, Cause we certainly had some fun doing those over the years. We've got a lot of toys coming up this year. Hi, Zachariah. So thrilled to have you. Uh, and I don't know whether that's Zachariah or Patricia, but hello all the same. And, uh, I want to let you guys know our toy guide, our 2020 toy guide is live. It is on our website, autism-live.com. Go to the very top where it's the little icon says toy guide, click on it, and you can see all of the toy recommendations for 2020. And let me tell you something, there are many categories, right? So there's a baby and toddler category, then there is the preschool category, then the school age category, then the teen and tween category, then the adult category, and then there is a category of gifts that are just for caregivers, because sometimes caregivers, uh, you know, we we need gifts too, right? And I got to say, one of my faves, uh, I've, I've been having so much fun with, this is from Ann Williams Group. And this is one of our, uh, it's the arts and craft gift in the caregiver. Uh, but listen, this is so awesome. I wish that I could put this in every category because I could see having a good time doing this. So what it is, they each have a, um, a different theme. And I want to show you, uh, and it comes with 10 different uh, pictures that it gives you. And it gives you a blank picture. Let me show you one I haven't done yet because I've been having some. Okay. So it gives me a blank picture and then it gives me all of these stickers that I can stick on them anywhere I want to. And I can go as crazy as I want to. And here's what I love about it is that if I only got five minutes, I can sit down and I can craft for five minutes and I put all these little roses all around and, and then I can move them. I've had so much fun with this over the Thanksgiving break and it's called Sticker and Chill. It's from the Ann Williams Group. They're called uh, their sub company is called Craftastic. You can get it on our toy guide. Uh, they're really great price point, uh, great gift to ship, and I just super super duper loved it. Loved it. Played with it over the holiday weekend, and it was Sticker and Chill time. Uh, so thrilled that you guys are all here with us this morning. So. Uh, <laughs> We're going to be talking about toys uh, and talking about different things, but I love it. Go ahead and write in your questions, but we've got a great guest this morning. Bonnie Yates, I believe, is joining us in a little while. So let's get right to it, shall we? Because I hate making her wait. I want to remind you that we have lots of experts on the show. I'm not one of them. I'm a parent. I am a grateful parent of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and is doing wonderfully at about to be 17 and a half this week. 
So, uh, but don't confuse me for an expert, confuse me for someone who cares deeply about you and your path, wherever you are in this big, beautiful community. And here at Autism Live, we talk about the, the larger autism community, which starts with individuals who are on the spectrum. I always make this gesture because it's like, they're the beating core, the heart of that group. Um, but I sort of picture it as like this dome, right? So at the heart of it are individuals who are on the autism spectrum. But then I also picture this dome around them that's everyone who loves them. And this show is for everyone within that circle. Because we know that it's not one size fits all. We want to help you to get to the progress that you need. And we're fighting really hard for the dignity and respect and opportunity that all individuals on the autism spectrum deserve to get. So uh thrilled that you guys are here with us we always like to start on mondays when we have time with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day this is when we take on one word one phrase one acronym we try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about what does this have to do with us why should we care how can this save, save us five minutes and five dollars so today's term is an oldie but a goodie ot it's not ot and <laughs> It's greatly misunderstood. So especially in regards to autism, let's take a look at our actual definition. It is an occupational therapist. Now, good morning, Amanda. Uh, I don't know about you, but when my two and a half year old was diagnosed with autism and I was saying, you know, what should we be doing? And they said, you know, well, you're going to want to get speech and OT. And I said, what's OT? Occupational therapy. And I said, he's two and a half. He doesn't have a job yet. <laughs> but I wanna make sure that he can have a job later on, right? Why does he need to go to an occupational therapist? Um, and they said, no, 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 um, it's to get him ready for things that he needs to do to be job ready. And that was sort of the simple explanation, but let's take a look at our uh, working definition here and then we'll, we'll hone in a little bit about what an OT does and why they're important for individuals on the spectrum, no matter what their age is. So an OT is a health professional whose goal is to help people achieve independence. Oh, well, that makes a certain amount of sense, right? Meaning and satisfaction in all aspects of their lives. Well, shut the front door, that's kind of cool, right? So for a two and a half year old on the autism spectrum, we might be working on, you know, finger grasp and hand hand grasp and you know the palmer grasp, being able to to grab a hold of things so that he can hold a water bottle someday. We certainly would be working on pincer grasp so that he could pick things up to feed himself, right? But we also want that pincer grasp so that he can unzip his pants when we get to that point, so that he has independence. But we also want to be working on a tripod grasp so that he will be able to sign his name and write all the things that he wants to write in his life and eventually be able to type, right? But there's other stuff. It's not just the, the finger fine motor skills, although OTs are great for that, right? Um, but a lot of times OTs are great with individuals on the autism spectrum because they deal with sensory processing. So they can help a person to be able to regulate, you know, when there's lots of noise and other things that are happening. Um, an OT can be very helpful with that. Um, and also, um, you know, all the vestibular things, being able to walk across the balance beam, you know, having enough, um, you know, motor skill to be able to do the things that they want to do. Uh, I'm just seeing uh, that somebody wrote in and said, my son is still trying to regulate after his uh, wild week of an MRI dentist Thanksgiving and going to the store. We'll be so glad when we start four hours a week with telehealth. Ooh, and she said, still trying to celebrate the little things. Um, you know, here's what I love and hate about the holidays. Uh, and sorry, Trayvon, I am going to come back to that. But uh, because this, this is going to be part of our OT discussion. What I love about the holidays is that it's something different. It disrupts the pattern and we get to do something different and it staves off boredom, right? But here's the bad part of it. If you're a sensory person and you have inflexibilities, it throws everything out the door. And listen, what I what I just said, if you, you know, if you have sensory things and you, you know, have some inflexibility issues, guess who that is? All of us. That is not just people who are on the autism spectrum, that is all of us everybody's having a hard time because it's the Monday after Thanksgiving. And I've heard eight people this morning already go, man, 
I'm having a hard time getting it together here, right? Um, everything, we just, we got ourselves in a little different groove and now we need to get ourselves back in this groove and it's hard for everyone. So, you know, uh, the one person who said that their little is having a little bit of trouble readjusting after this really wild week where a lot of the rules changed for the week, right? It's kind of normal. An OT can help us to work on those things too, because they help us with sensory regulation, being able to help ourselves to um, cope, coping. Um, so, you know, a really wonderful thing. Good morning, Nasser. Um, so uh, OT, a really important component of working with individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, and a good OT can be doing all kinds of great things with an individual. I really love, uh, and we haven't heard on the show in a while, but Kara Kaczynski, uh, she goes by the Pocket OT. And if you go to, I think it's pocketot.com, she's got a lot of great blog and a lot of great information there and some books. And one of her books is featured as one of our uh, top gifts I think it's in the caregiver uh, category. I call it a bathroom book because you can put it in your bathroom and you can just open up when you're in the bathroom for a second. You know, you got you got a minute there. <laughs> you open it up, pick any page and, um, you know, you read and, you know, it'll give you one good tidbit. Uh, and of course, everybody says, oh, you know, that, that's that's not good hand, uh, you know, and sanitary. It is. Because if you sit down on the toilet and while you're doing the thing you're reading, then you close it and put it away before you're doing anything else, you're okay because your hands were clean uh, when you sat down. I'm sorry, TMI, but bathroom book, it's a really good way. And Kara Kaczynski, great, great, great bathroom books, uh, great OT, quite, quite wonderful. So um, get yourself some OT. I also love that most school districts will give you OT like, you know, it's like Halloween candy. Like they've got a whole bunch of it and they'll give it out to pretty much anybody who asks for it, right? I don't think I've ever heard somebody having to fight a school district to get some OT. Whether your OT is super fabulous, awesome, or somebody who's pretty by the book gonna work on hand skills, you know, but even then, you know, can be a really good thing. Um, the one thing that I will say and I want everybody to hear me when I say this, because I'm a big fan of OT and I'm especially a good, a, a big fan of good, good OT. OT does not take the place of ABA. It's something that works great in conjunction with it. So, you know, if I said to you, um, okay, we're going to make a Thanksgiving dinner and I, I've got this great way to make mashed potatoes, right? Well, mashed potatoes doesn't make a whole Thanksgiving dinner. You really want to do the traditional Thanksgiving dinner, you got to have the turkey too, right? Turkey and some mashed potatoes and maybe some stuffing and some cranberry sauce, right? So OT, great mashed potatoes. Don't think it's the turkey. It's not. It's part of the whole. A lot of times I hear people go, oh, well, my son has speech and OT. That's what they offered us. That's what we're going to do. My daughter doesn't, you know, we, we've got speech and OT. My daughter doesn't need anything else. No, 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 no. Um, but I agree. Amanda is saying OT is such an important part of the overall team. I abs abs absolutely agree. But a lot of times people go, okay, well, we've got OT. That's all we need. And, um, you know, OT is going to be great for that sensory component. But if we want to teach somebody to get them caught up on the things that they didn't learn, um, you know, if it's not physical, OT is not going to help with that. So, Part of the whole, part of the whole, an important part of the whole, but not the whole picture. Okay, moving on. We always have a question of the day for you. And our question today, da, da, da. I have no idea what it is. And Traven's making us wait for it. <laughs> what sensory issues are you dealing with? Okay, uh, isn't this a great question? I love this question because um, we all have sensory issues. Like it just, it's very personal, right? Some of you are people who, if somebody puts nails down a chalkboard, you'll lose your mind. I can hear nails on a chalk chalkboard and that doesn't bother me at all, but set somebody behind me, have me listen to something in front of me and have the person behind me talking and I will lose my cookies. I, it, it creates anxiety in me and I can't deal. So what sensory issues are you dealing with? 
and how do you cope with them? And how frustrating is it for you when you don't have an out? And the reason why I'm asking you that is because almost all of our kids, no, I'm going to say all of our kids, just like all of us, have sensory issues. And how sensitive do we want to be about that? How willing, how open do we want to be to seeing what their sensitivities are and to help them to work on coping skills? Um, Somebody says cotton coming out of a medicine belt uh, bottle. Is that a good or a bad? Uh, is that, uh, is that something you really love or is that something that's really, uh, like nails on a chalkboard? I didn't know for the longest time that my son, you know, uh, egg cartons that are the styrofoam and we didn't get a lot of eggs. He was allergic to eggs, but, um, there's the kind that are paper and there's the kind that are plastic. And then there are the ones that is like a little bit styrofoamy. If you just like turn them a little bit styrofoamy now that he's older and he can go, I would prefer that you not make that noise around me, right? Amanda, so the cotton coming out of the the, the medicine bottle, I don't I don't know that I've ever even really heard. Is it the sound or is it the uh the texture of it? I like I'm fascinated now. Aren't people's sensory things uh just fascinating? It's like what drives you total, total bonkers? Um, Narissa says sound uh for her grandson. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own things, right? So if you have your thing, we have to assume that your child or your teen or your adult has a thing too. So Amanda says it's the feeling and the sound. That's absolutely fascinating. Well, I will make sure never to do that in uh, on the show uh, or in your presence because that's like, isn't it great when you can find out from somebody, oh, that's the thing that makes me full on bonkers. I think I was married for, I don't know, five years before I said to my husband, we had a couch in the living room where you could stand behind somebody while they were watching television. And, and my, sometimes my husband would stand on the phone and I'd be trying to watch something. And I, and I just like, Oh, I can't concentrate. This is happening in front of me. You're happening behind me. And I would pause it and he would go, honey, go ahead and watch it. And I'd go, I can't, it cannot happening. Oh, uh, Traven says nail filing drives him bonkers. Well, Trayman, I probably have done that in the studio with you listening, you speak up. Uh, but, you know, isn't it great that we have the ability to say and that and to hear what's driving somebody bonkers? Sometimes individuals on the autism spectrum don't have an easy path to communicate with us and say, this is what's bothering me. And we all need to be sensitive about that to hear in the many different ways that they can tell us and to kind of be detectives. Uh, my son's very sensitive to sound. His school abused the use of those noise canceling headphones. Uh, and, and we didn't know for so long. Yeah. I mean, I think what's great about a really good OT is that, you know, it's not loving and kind to just say to somebody, oh, well, you know what, that's part of your disability. And so you're left out. Like that's not the ticket. And a good OT will help to work on desensitization. And there's two different types of desensitization. There's systematic desensitization, and then there's flooding. And there are times and places and with professionals where flooding is a potential, but a lot of times it's a bad idea, especially for our kids, right? So, um, you know, but systematic desensitization going very slow to get somebody accustomed to a sound or an issue or whatever has been found to be very effective, even with our kids. So something to keep in mind. Um, but the flip of that is just slapping some ear, uh, earphones on somebody and saying, oh, they can't cope with sound. So we'll just cut them out of everything. Not good OT, right? Not, not, not the ticket. That's not loving. Uh, that's not inclusive. And uh, our folks deserve to be included. And you know what? The world needs it. The world needs for them to be included because they bring something special and unique. And when we put them over to the side, we're cheated out of that experience. So um, I'm sorry. Sometimes as parents, we find out after the fact, oh, somebody wasn't doing something and, and it was not good for our child. And I know what that feels like. You just want to run around, light your hair on fire and scream and yell and stomp on things. Um, but good for you for, for recognizing it when you did. Okay, moving on. We always have a topic of the week. Are you ready for our topic this week? Because we're moving into the December thing. 
So new topic, uh, every waking hour. Now, um, we talk a lot on the show about uh, ABA, good quality ABA, and how vital and important it is. And every year, I sort of pick a new aspect of things that I really want to promote and hit hard. And I remember a couple of years ago, we started the show, I was like, ABA, ABA, ABA. And then I was about inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. And then I realized that a lot of people were not getting good ABA and they weren't getting good inclusion. And that's almost worse than nothing in both cases, right? So I was all about good ABA and good inclusion. And now I'm about this every waking hour. So, um, because it's, it's the whole picture, right? We need to be doing good quality ABA and you need to have a good quality OT and you got to have good quality speech, right? And the diet's got to be good. Um, and there's other things that you can do as well, depending on the individual, but every waking hour is about making every moment count and making it, uh, a reinforcing. So it's pleasant an educational, immersive experience. So I've never had the pleasure of living abroad, but, you know, I have friends who, uh, you know, I, I studied Spanish in high school and was considered fluent. In fact, I, I have a high school diploma with a regents degree in Spanish where, you know, the whole test is oral and you have to do it in Spanish and I can speak Spanish fluently with an asterisk, right? Because I'd never lived in a Spanish speaking community. And I know some of my friends who then went and spent a year in Spain or a year in Mexico that, or, you know, uh, um, one friend went to Bolivia, they immersed themselves in the language and came back and their language, poof, right? Because every waking moment of their day was this immersive relationship with the Spanish language. I, on the other hand, didn't. And what happened, you know, there's like 10 words because I didn't keep up on it and I wasn't fully immersed in mine. And when we talk about autism and teaching skills to an individual and helping them, uh, oh, uh, Alicia says we can practice. I, I want to get my Spanish back. Um, but, uh, I, 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 we don't talk about this much on the show, but I was born in Puerto Rico and I very much want to go to Puerto, Puerto Rico and I want to be able to understand and, and say more than just queso, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but in any case, um, immersive, uh, we know that that's the best way to teach language is immersive. And part of what we're trying to teach to individuals on the autism spectrum is language, right? In all the different forms that there are, but even with the other things, when we're teaching social skills and um, sensory processing things, if, if we make it a positive educational environment and make it every waking hour, we have the best chance of helping that individual the most with whatever their needs are, whatever their particular issues are. So yes, si se puede, exactly. Uh, so I, uh, I love Christina says we are rocking every waking hour. You get it done. Right. Uh, this is really the ticket. And, and I really am excited about 2021 because we like anything other than 2020. Right. But we're really going to be talking about this in 2021. That's really where my head is at every waking hour. And how do we do that? How do we put that in your hip pocket? How do we make that possible for you? Whether you are the person on the spectrum or you are the teacher or you are the parent, we want for this to be every waking hour. Uh, we are working on brushing up our ASL. My son loves it and he asks for it verbally. That is awesome. See, that shows passion. Uh, if he's asking for something, that's highly preferred if he's going to the trouble to ask for it. So I think you're absolutely right. Brush up. That's a whole other language uh, and one that is so very useful. So I absolutely love that. Okay, so uh, I was trying so hard not to be late for Bonnie, but so that's our topic for today. We got Bonnie with us. Is she with us or is she uh, got, she's not here yet. Okay, hopefully she's gonna be joining us. Uh, so we have time to chat anyway. So every waking, tell me when she is here though, Traven. okay? So um, he likes the sign ABC, see, and I don't know what the sign for ABC is. Um, oh, so are you saying he likes to sign the whole alphabet? 
because uh, if he likes to sign the whole alphabet, that's really wonderful. There's a song that where you sign the alphabet and then there's a word that goes with um, each uh, letter. Um, so that'd be a great thing to do with him next. I'm doing this because I can remember when my son was in early intervention and the only sign that I knew, I think this is cookie. Um, C is for cookie. Oh, Bonnie is here. Okay. So, um, so thrilled that we have Bonnie Yates here. Uh, there is a song though. There, uh, there, uh, I'll see if I can find it, Christina. If you Google it, um, signing the alphabet, I bet it'll come up. So Bonnie Yates is here and she is a special education attorney with the law, the Tolner Law Offices. And we're so thrilled that she is joining us. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. How are you, Shannon? How are you? I'm good. I enjoyed the break. Yes, didn't we all? Yeah, um, we did. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you got a break. Tell us a little bit about Tolner Law Offices and give us your disclaimer for today. Tolner Law Offices is an eight attorney firm. We're based in San Jose, California. We have, um, an attorney that practices in Nevada. We have another one that practices in Arizona. If you are in any of those places and you want a free consultation, we can offer that um, outside of what we do on this show. On this show, what we try to do is we try to inform you about your rights under state and federal law in a general way, but it wouldn't be a substitute for having a specific conversation with an attorney. If you are outside of the states I mentioned, Go to COPA, C-O-P-A-A.net, and you could use their attorney directory as a good place to start. So Now, last week, we didn't get to do a live show with you because we had catastrophic issues, technical issues, and we apologize to you and to everybody else. But I know you had a topic scheduled uh, to talk about then. Is that what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, and hopefully you got what I sent you, which was kind of a cheat sheet for Section 504 versus the IDEA. Yes. That? Yes, I do have that. Let me see if I can bring that up. Um, and Traven also got that. Um, so if I... I, let me see if I've got it. But this is a really important topic because a lot of there's a lot of confusion about what the difference is between a 504 and uh, an IEP, and when do you need which one, and 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 what does each do. So where do you want to jump in on this? Um, well, let's jump in with the chart first, and then we'll then we'll talk more specifically about more nuanced aspects of the law. So here's my observation. Um, because there's no attorney fee provision um, under the Lanterman Act in California, which is the, the regional center, you know, attorneys end up knowing less about the regional center because they don't tend to be able to litigate there because it's not cost effective. And 504 isn't exactly the same because it does have a money damages provision and you can sue under 504 and get attorney's fees, but that's only at a later stage of the game. And so uh, if, if you all don't feel like you're very strong on 504, I don't feel like I'm very strong on 504. And so um, I wanted to at least begin talking about it. It's not a statute that I've used a lot, but I do know attorneys that sue for 50, under 504 for discrimination and they're successful and those lawsuits can re result in large um, money judgments. But okay. if, you have a student, if you have a student with autism, um, it's hard for me to believe that you'd end up with a 504 plan properly end up with a 504 plan. I've had students that have been put on a 504 plan with a diagnosis of autism, but I think that it's so likely that the autism has an educational impact um, that you would, you, you would qualify for an IEP. 504 is a different kind of statute. 504 is basically like a non-discrimination statute that says you can't treat a handicapped person, and that's the term that's used, a handicapped person differently than you would treat a non-handicapped person. So if somebody had a brace on their leg or something, you 
you a functional brace. You couldn't tell that person you can't play football with the rest of the kids. It's really a non-discrimination statute. And and so um, where we encounter 504 in the schools is you put somebody on a 504 plan, <clears throat> I think generally because there aren't um, the same kind of accountability requirements at that level as with the uh, IDEA. So we don't have good experiences when our clients are on 504 plans in public school. We could have a good experience if they were properly implemented. The reason they're not is that there's not the same, you know, uh, requirement for an annual IP, requirement that, um, that you can record your meetings, requirement that you write annual measurable goals and objectives. Um, and, and so uh, we tend to have 504 plans that are very weak because there's not a lot of ability at the, at the um, school level uh, for enforcing them. Um, but you actually can have services under 504, not just accommodations, not just accommodations to include you in the classroom. Um, so I don't know that 504 is going to soon become really effective for any parents because of the problems at the school level where the 504 plan isn't taken seriously. But um, but it's still important to understand how it works. So a 504 plan, as you see in the chart, the basic description is it's a blueprint for how the school will provide support and remove barriers for a student with a disability. So if you had a wheelchair and you wanted to go into a general ed class and there was only a step going up to the class, the, the architectural barrier that you would have to remove would in that case be <clears throat> you'd have to put a ramp in for the student so that they could access the classroom. Um, in terms of what it does, what the 504 plan does, okay, the, the IEP is providing individualized special education and related services to meet a child's unique needs at no cost to the family. Whereas the 504 plan is supposed to provide services and changes to the learning environment to enable students to learn alongside their peers. Um, the IEP is a whole separate law. They're both, they're both federal in nature. But uh, the 504, uh, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act is intended to stop discrimination against people with disabilities. Well, what are some forms of discrimination you could get under 504? Well, what if you had something that said you can't play on, you can't play on the school baseball team uh, if you have a disability? That wouldn't require an IEP, but it would be discriminatory. So that would be a violation of 504. Um, in terms of who's eligible, to get an IEP, there are two requirements. You have to have, uh, first of all, a qualifying disability under the IDEA. And I think you remember that there are 13. Um, and the disability has to affect the child's educational performance and or the ability to learn and benefit from the general education curriculum. And you must need, the child must need Specialized instruction to make progress in school. So I have a question. Uh -huh. And, and I, I feel like I used to know the answer to this, but based on what you just said, I'm not 100% sure anymore. Can you have both an IEP and a 504? Should you have both an IEP and a 504? I think, you know, from my research, you could, but I don't think you should. Okay. I think if, I think if, you, if you have an IEP, that should be the focus. Because okay. even if you don't have a 504 plan, if the district discriminates against you on the basis of your disability, you can sue under 504 okay. for more damages. You don't have to have a 504 plan to enforce your 504 plan rights. Um, and, and further question, sorry, uh, I don't mm -hmm. mean to throw you off your rhythm, That's but it sounds like to me, Bonnie, that your preference for a school-aged individual on the autism spectrum, if possible, is to have an IEP. Um, but, that you know, sometimes schools don't. They give uh, a child a 504. Um, but your preference as a lawyer, a special education lawyer, it sounds like it's a little bit more, um, I don't, it's not access, but do you have 
more more actionable if you have an IEP. Is that well, no, not not necessarily, because if you have if you have disability discrimination that violates Section 504, it's very actionable. It's not that it's not actionable, but okay. we'll come back to we'll come back to what's required because one of the problems with 504 is you have to exhaust your administrative remedies, which means you have to go to you have to go to hearing first administratively and exhaust your 504 claims before you can. Uh, sue in court but but we've talked about on this show the fact that there's a difference between educational impact under the idea and academic impact and school districts have tried to define educational impact which is what's in the statute narrowly so that they didn't have to you know provide somebody with an iep um if they were you know let's say um if they had at least average cognition and they, you know, they they could sort of do the work. But what we looked at also is that when you do the initial assessment for IDEA eligibility, you don't just look at academic ability. You look at social emotional yeah. and 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 these other things. And the reason for looking at those things is because once you turn 18, if you have an IEP, you become responsible for your own educational rights and you are supposed to have a transition plan that prepares you for adult employment and if you aren't able to uh, observe the normal social routines it's going to be hard for you to move on in your life as an adult who had an IEP and is now in charge of your education and or working for a living so we know that the test is educational impact um, requiring special education and related services, but we also watch as the districts over and over again try to define uh, educational impact very narrowly, which is how they kick kids with autism off of their IEPs. Okay, so like you have a very bright student with autism who uh, is is getting some of the best grades in the class, but when he goes out to the play yard, all he can talk about is uh, angry birds and his peers are shunning him because he's not picking up on the fact that everybody has reciprocal conversation and he doesn't. So that's how you get an IEP. You have one of the 13 qualifying disabilities and you have to require specialized instruction um, to learn in the general ed setting. Whereas with a 504 plan, there are two requirements. One, you have to have a disability, but it's way broader than the 13 disabilities. You know, uh, you could have asthma. Well, asthma is covered under the IDA. It's way broader than 13 disabilities. Although, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of conditions would fit under other health impairment because that's, that's a catch-all category for the IDEA. A lot of mental health um, categories would fit under the IDA, under emotional disturbance. But anyway, the Section 504 has a broader definition of disability, and the disability must interfere with the child's ability to learn in the general education classroom. So the 504 language says the disability must substantially limit one or more basic life activities. This can include learning, reading, communicating, and thinking. That's why a child who doesn't qualify for an IEP still might be able to get a 504 plan. So Bonnie, we had a question come in. My daughter was denied an IEP. She has selective mutism, OCD, and ADHD. If she goes back to school, I had planned on asking for a 504. Well, I would say that the uh, the selective mutism is a, is a significant diagnosis. Does it not have any impact on her? ability to um, to uh, socialize in school. I mean, it sounds to me like you might have an issue with a bad and, and kind of too narrow assessment. So I that's one I would take to a lawyer. I wouldn't go for the 504 plan. I think based on knowing almost nothing about your case, you could show that the selective mutism, uh, the OCD and the ADHD uh, has an educational impact. Okay, you're saying it does have an impact, but she can sign. Uh, does it have a social impact? 
I don't see how it couldn't. I gotta be honest. Because Not on her end necessarily, but on the other kids. Doesn't she need, in addition to uh, accommodations, doesn't she need um, social support or they denied her because I taught her how to use sign language and they said that's her form of communication. Well, I think you're in the category of, I don't know what state you're in, but you need to talk to an attorney. Yeah, I agree. You could give us more facts later um, and we could try to answer it on the show. But but I mean, I probably want to look at the district assessment and I'm guessing I'd find I'd be able to find a lot of things wrong with it. And let's just say at this moment that Amanda, if, if, Amanda are you in California? And and for Tolner mm -hmm. and for Bonnie, it's ba it's basically we're talking about California, Nevada, Arizona. Um, but if they're, if you're not in one of those, California, if she's in California, there's a way to show that district assessment to a psychologist, and the psychologist can tell you whether she doesn't think the disability has an educational impact. Okay, well, you need to talk to a lawyer in your state. I don't, I don't think the 504 plan is going to get you probably the kind of uh, psychological services and social support that she needs. But you recommend going to COPA, C-O-P-A-A. I, I think that's a largely reputable group of attorneys that, that you know, have been part of the disability community for a long time. And they're taking the trouble to pay a membership to an organization that's a really good organization. So, yeah, I would start there, definitely. We're seeing more and more of this, though, Bonnie. I, I don't know if you're seeing this in your practice where... Schools are trying really hard to deny people IEPs and then make people have to work for even that first thing of, of getting the IEP. It's a bummer. Well, it is, but we've talked about this before on the show. The threshold for assessment, if you suspect your child of having a disability, is low. And, you know, you should be writing your district a letter and saying, I think my child qualifies for an IEP. I want her assessed. Here are the reasons. We've talked a lot about special education rights and responsibilities, that booklet, which you can find um, from protection and advocacy. You can also look at rights law. They have sample letters on how you can write an initial letter asking for a referral to special education. But this actually dovetails in nicely with the next point about the differences between the 504 and the IEP. Under the um, IDEA, you can ask for an independent educational evaluation at district expense. 504 does not have such a provision. So that's one of the different things that you're opting into if you have an IEP versus a 504 is you're gonna have an ability to challenge district assessments as they come up if you think they're <clears throat> not appropriate. Um, in terms of the, the 504 team, the 504 team is not a specific team that has to all come together. Um, whereas for the IEP team, you have very specific individuals at a minimum that have to you know, participate. So uh, the child's parent or, get, or caregiver, there always has to be a general education teacher there. There has to be a special education there. There has to be a school psychologist there if you're uh, either revisiting eligibility or who can interpret uh, evaluations, and then you have to have a decision maker there that has the authority to um, to um, offer whatever is necessary to provide FAPE. And I will tell you all, in general, when districts are trying to ask you to, to um, excuse people and sign written excusal, you have to be really careful with that. And you shouldn't just do it because they're making you feel uncomfortable. I mean, the whole idea of having a, a comprehensive team is, is there in place for a reason, but that's a side point. So anyway, the, the IEP team um, is quite different. The other thing about the IEP meeting is you can give 24 hours written notice and you can record the meeting. Under 504, you can't. Now, I talked to a parent recently that had a horrific experience under 504 and she made an Office of Civil Rights complaint to the federal government. And they came down and they looked at everything and they were so concerned that they actually uh, told the district, you better fix this. 
And that mom told me that she'd been able to record all her 504 meetings. She's the first mom I ever talked to that told me that. Everybody else has told me uh, they haven't been able to record. And when I've gone to 504 meetings, I haven't been able to record. So don't count on recording. Okay, I want to just briefly go back because you were saying the uh, excusal. Uh, I want to make sure that everybody, so if, if I'm correct, that's when they say to you, because we all have experienced this, when they say, oh, you don't mind, you know, the English teacher is supposed to be here, but she needs to get back to class with the sub called in. You don't mind if they're not here, right? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, then and a lot of times we, I will go, yeah, no, we don't need you here. And then later I go, oh, why did I say that? We kind of needed her here. Yeah. I mean, generally, you do need them there, and you aren't going to know whether you need them or not until after you've excused them. So if I do that, I do it because I'm fairly confident that I've got a handle on what I need to get done. And I, I, I always say, can you leave your cell phone on, and can we call you if we have a question? Oh, that's a good point. But you're supposed to have those people there to help you develop the present levels of performance and to help you develop measurable goals and objectives. And for somebody in general ed, you need somebody that's knowledgeable about the general education curriculum, and that's gonna be the general ed teacher. They don't have to have all the teachers there. They have to have one general ed teacher there. Now, if your student goes to a, a non-public or a private school and it's all special education students and all special education teachers, there's no requirement that they have a general education teacher there. If your child is, is three to five, they're a preschooler, there's no requirement that you have a general education teacher there. But starting at kindergarten, you're supposed to have a gen ed teacher there. If the student is or may be participating in general education. So if, you're, if your child hasn't been in general education and you wanna have a meeting to discuss future mainstreaming, you need a general education teacher there. She could talk about what is the, <coughs> excuse me, what is the structure of the various classes and where where would be a good place to start with the mainstreaming and so on anyway uh in terms of the difference between the iep and the 504 plan there is really no standard for a 504 plan it just generally is gonna um it doesn't even have to be a written document so get that it doesn't even have to be a written document 504 plan generally includes specific accommodations, supports, and services for the child, names of who will provide each service, and the name of the person responsible for ensuring the plan is implemented. Well, I've seen a lot of 504 plans that don't, don't aren't even that specific, right? Whereas, you know, the IEP, because we've talked about the structure so many times, it starts with present levels of academic and functional performance. It talks about annual goals that have to be measurable and how they're going to be tracked, right? So the objectives, um, the services the child will get, which includes extended school year services, which you don't have a right to under 504, um, the timing of services, accommodations and modifications, how the child will participate in standardized tests and how the child will be included in general education activities and school activities. So you can see they're quite different. They're, 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 they're quite different. Um, there's no state put under a 504 plan. Uh, they have to tell you if they're gonna change your, your services. They don't even have to, or, or your accommodations. It doesn't have to be in writing. Whereas when, when uh, the district wants to change your services under an IEP, they have to provide you with prior written notice and you also have your state put rights if you disagree. Um, both, both require consent for evaluations, um, and the IEP also requires consent before the provision of services. Uh, the rules on how often a 504 plan is reviewed vary state by state. It can be annually, um, and it could be less often than that. There aren't really strict timelines as far as a 504 plan. We've got a question, Bonnie. Uh -huh. um, we, I think we've heard of many people going from an IEP to a 504, but can you go from a 504 to an IEP? Yeah, and a lot of the cases I've done have been somebody that's on a 504 plan for ADHD because ADHD is not one of the 13 eligibility categories. You have to show that your ADHD um, has um, an, a, a significant educational impact. 
So you absolutely, yes, can go from a 504 to an IEP. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, the IEP is reviewed annually and eligibility is looked at every three years. So that's, that's different. Um, whereas with a 504 plan, it's kind of state by state or district by district. Okay, so families do have dispute resolution procedures under 504 that none of us has ever heard of. And that's because these, these procedures are not usually utilized and parents don't know about them and districts don't do them. But you have the right under a 504 plan to mediation, alternative dispute resolution, you have a right to a hearing, you have a right to complain to the Office of Civil Rights, and you have a right to file a lawsuit. But you don't usually hear too much about that because the 504 plan hearing is not something that you can um, receive attorney fee reimbursement for um, if you if you do things at that level. You only get into having uh, a right to seek uh, attorney's fees under 504 once you file a lawsuit. And I don't mean like a due process complaint. I mean like a federal court lawsuit. Whereas under the IDEA, if people don't know this, you go to your IEP meeting, you disagree, you file for due process administratively. When you sit down at a mediation and you settle the case, it's gonna include attorney's fees. So because of that, that's where the work has mostly been done is that you know under the IDEA, which gives you um, mediation, due process, resolution session, the potential for a civil lawsuit, a state complaint, um, and so on. So there are more um, ways to resolve disputes under the IDEA and to get parents reimbursed for attorney's fees. So that's where the, that's where the focus tends to be. Um, as far as funding goes, um, in both cases, if the students are going to receive services, they have to be free of charge. Um, but states receive additional funding for students with IEPs, whereas not for 504. So those are some of the those are some of the differences, kind of at the school level. the The next part of the conversation is what happens with 504 once you've exhausted your administrative remedies, and maybe that's something we're going to talk about next week because it looks like we're okay yeah we're getting close i i do have a question though what you just said that so if if your student has an iep then your, your student's school re will receive some funding for those services if they have a 504 the school doesn't receive funding for it so why Aren't schools yeah. pushing for the IEP instead of the 504? Is it that the funding they get doesn't actually cover the services? No, it's because it's almost always a case that districts give 504 accommodations and they don't give services. And they even tell parents you only get accommodations out under 504, not services. And the reason they like 504 is, lo is lack of accountability procedures. I would think they would be greedy, though, for the money. I guess that doesn't outweigh it. They're, they're... It's not that much money. Okay. All right. And, and, yeah. and the, way, the, the way I would think about it, if I were an administrator, is whatever money I get if the parent sues me uh, under the IDEA, all that money's gone. Okay. So that makes a certain amount of sense. It's not clear to, to those of you on the show that have been listening for a while, you know, we might as well get into full disclosure here. <clears throat> Almost every case I do ends up in, a, in, in um, either a decision or a settlement agreement that involves the, the provision of attorney's fees. And, yeah. and those fees are expensive to districts and they hate them. They hate, yeah. hate as they should. Yeah, they I just them. wish they hated it so much that they did what was right to start. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. Agree with all of that. But the, but the thing for, for the listeners to understand is that still remains the main kind of um, you know, carrot or stick or whatever you want to call it. And so, yeah. and they all have really high caseloads. So it's much easier for them to have a 504 meeting that'll take 30 minutes and doesn't require a lot of prep and doesn't require the come, them to come back annually and show progress. So that's, yeah. why, they, that's why they like the 504 plans. Okay. 
Good to know. I'm going to ask you a I question, Bonnie. I have run into at least one psychologist, and I'm not going to say more about it, but I think there are more than just her, who did not, not understand the difference between 504 and, and the IDEA after many years in practice. And she would write in her reports, she, she'd write the whole thing up, and then she'd say the kid qualifies for a 504 plan as if she was giving the parents something great. Yeah. So I get a report that says the kid has all these problems, they should be eligible for a 504 plan. I'm like, oh, shoot. Because once you give that to the district, the district's going to come back to you and say, your own expert recommended a 504 plan. Yeah. Well, uh, frustrating. Uh, I, well, I want to empower parents, as you have throughout this uh, this. Show that ask questions, uh, seek out um, legal help. If you're in California, Nevada, Arizona, you can reach out to Tolner Law Offices. If you're in other states, reach out to copaa.net and get some support for you because this is the basis for everything. You can We can talk about everything else that you're gonna argue with the school district, but if you have that IEP, you're gonna be arguing from a different place than if you don't, correct, Bonnie? Yeah, and you know, the chart didn't, mention this, but it occurs to me, you don't have the right to an individualized transition plan under 504. There you go. To prepare you for adult employment. But, you know, no. generally speaking, I mean, people, people, if there are a hundred of you and you have a kid with ADHD, 75 of them are going to probably have ADHD of the sort that's going to require an IEP. There, you go. So there are some people there are some people with ADHD who are medicated or not, or their ADHD is mild, and they're just fine without an IEP. So that yeah. might be the case, or it might not be. But just because you have ADHD does not mean that it's not severe enough to have an educational impact such that you should not be on a 504 plan and you should have an IEP. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question, Bonnie, but I don't want you to give your answer this week. I'd like you to mull it. And see, you know, maybe next week. L L E T T. Yeah, I want. No, I want you to mull. No, I know. I couldn't resist. No, not mull it. But you know, we're now that we are all. I believe we are all clear that we're having a different administration taking over in January, and that will mean saying goodbye to Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education. Wondering. Um, if there was one thing that you would like to see the new person come in and do, what would well, it be? Uh, uh, you don't have to answer right now. I'd like for you to. I can, I can mull that, but I do want to say, I do want to say that DeVos exceeded expectations during the pandemic in terms of not letting the district and the federal government off the hook. And so I don't even, disagree. Even DeVos had her moment. That was her moment. <laughs> yes. I, I don't disagree at all. And I'm not, uh, you know, I, I will be clear that I was not a fan of Betsy DeVos at all. And I won't be sorry to see her go. I believe that what she did during the pandemic was really helpful. There's just a part of me that doesn't, I, I don't, I don't think that she understands what part of it she did that was helpful, but, um, <laughs> but I'll take it. Uh, and that's just me. But I'm anxious to see, especially, um, you know, there's been much buzz about the fact that uh, Jill Biden um, is, is a, not was, is a school teacher. So I'm interested to see what that translates to. And of course, uh, Joe Biden had it in his uh, platform that he wanted to fully fund IDEA. So that he would be the first president to do that if in fact he did that. And I don't know, I don't know that he can in a pandemic. I don't know that it's possible, but it would be interesting to see how if I did. How about a surcharge on Amazon to pay for special ed? Could we? That's a great idea, Bonnie. That's could a great I idea. Know. I don't know that we could, but they've got some bucks. That's true. Let's get a hold of Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff, are you interested? See me after this call. Well, you know what? I mean, on Amazon, they have that smile thing that you can choose to give to a charity. What if they put IDEA on there? That would be easy. They could do that next week for all of us to get to choose to give money to fully fund IDEA. I, Bonnie, bet, it's, I bet it's only private charities. 
there'd be all kinds of constitutional issues with with well i don't know this isn't my area uh, but it's a brilliant idea there, but before i say something that really like shoots myself <laughs> okay right. i adore you everybody thank you shannon Solar law offices reach out to bonnie they're fabulous she's fabulous we'll see you next week bonnie all right take care everybody. stay safe uh, we're totally out of time here, you guys, but I, I want to remind you, big, big week. Don't forget, check out the toy guide, autism-live.com. Click on the toy guide. There's something for everyone. I have I have one of the other things. It must be caregiver day here. Um, this is uh, my tongue drum. This is one of the things, and I don't have my mallets here, but uh, what a wonderful thing. I'm going to play us out. We will see you guys tomorrow. It's a best of Temple Grandin tomorrow. So until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.